Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, THFC Steph, and before we get into it, a reminder for you to please make sure you do your duty. Subscribe on your favourite pod platforms and leave a nice review right now. Don't wait, go and do it immediately, and then come back and listen. This show is the second of our monthly review specials, given that the first one was about February. The Mensa folk among you will have figured out that this means we will be looking back at the month of March. It was a quiet one, as you'll hear. Just to once again frame the objective here for, for us all, it is to be both reflective and looking at the bigger picture behind the immediate moments which occurred. Looking forward to having a chat about it all with tonight's team. Ricky, Ram, James, hello guys, how are you? Hey Steph. Good evening guys. Good to have you all on. You know, there's no time for any of our usual questions about cheeses or condiments or, oh, yeah. you know, things we don't know about football. None of that. We're just going to get straight into it. But before we get into that, let's take a look at the fallout from February. And let me just give us an overview of where we were at. Because we ended February with a convincing victory over Burnley, 4-0, and a comfortable Europa League second leg win against Wolfsburger. What were we expecting at the end of February? What were our expectations for the coming month of March? And I'll tell you what, awesome, seeing it's early in the morning for you and uh, you're drink, you know, you're mainlining coffee to be with us and we appreciate it. Uh, everyone should know it's, it's, it's very, very early, far too early for me. But mate, kick us off. We, we went into March, I would say quite buoyant. February was a, was a tough month. There was the, the Everton loss, City absolutely you know, dominated us away from home. There were some tough results to take in that month, but the last two games gave us hope. Yeah, we're still in three tournament. You know, if you take top four battles, still being in the league, reasonably optimistic. Ram, was the uh, February frown that was, uh, was it upside down again going into March? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that we, there was definitely the grand old lady hope had returned. And, you know, I was definitely feeling hopeful. I know also mentioned the Everton loss, but actually the performance of that, um, actually gave me a bit of hope as well. I thought, well, if we can carry on playing in this way, a bit more swashbuckling, it could hold us in good stead for the games that we had coming up. It felt like we were at the end of a blip and the curve was going upwards again, which is the only curve we wanted going upward uh, in the last 12 months. So, uh, And Bale and Kane were starting to show that formidable partnership. So, uh, yeah, hope. Ricky, do you think Mrs. Ricky was looking forward to hearing cheerful wanker chat from you in the month of March? Uh, were you feeling the vibes like everybody else? No, she's never happy with wanker chat, but um, you know, <laughs> I locked the door, keep her out. We were coming into a little run of easier games then at the back end of February. So, um, And we started to show some form within those games and we were scoring goals. Bale was coming to the fore and, you know, small steps forward. Hope we were looking better, put it that way. One thing to add that obviously didn't then come to pass is it we got a fair draw in the Europa League as well. So, um, you know, that was in retrospect, think, this sounds ridiculous, but you know, <laughs> I think the pattern was beginning to emerge of our um, uh, flat track bully reputation. However, we went into week one with optimism, hope, smiles, expectations. Delhi was coming back too, Bale was back. Jose Mourinho was talking very positively about pretty much every member of the squad. You know, we, we, we beat Fulham 1-0 away, Deli own goal. We, uh, we, we hammered Palace with a, a gorgeous performance in that first week. As we look back at, at that first week of March, there's really no reason for us to feel that our optimism w- was to be doubted. Am I right? Guys, help me out here. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we continued on. I mean, that was still our run of kind of so-called easy games. And the Fulham game, I think it was the first game we'd played the Delhi, Sun, Kane and Bale. I won't do no acronyms. I think I'll leave that to um, social media. And But even in that game, once again, it looked like um, yet another team that looked kind of organised and playing to their coach's instructions made us just look a bit average and we struggled a bit. And I think some of them front four got taken off in the end. And then we had to bring on the kind of Duracell bunnies of Mora, Lamella and Sissoko. And that kind of helped us towards the end of that game. And we know Fulham were good, but it definitely gave us a game that day. And we was glad to get away with 1-0. But then against Palace, sort of all changed on the front foot again at home. I think we're doing quite well at home. And the cane bail access was in full effect in that game. Definitely. There was something that was uh, quite telling for me in the Palace game, which which made me even more think that perhaps we were going on this upward curve again was we conceded just before half time and we came out and we obliterated them. That I hadn't seen a performance like that for a while. So for me, it was definitely what I thought a turning point. I think it's interesting as well when you note that Sanchez and Alderweire to pick for the third successive game. We're starting to get some central defensive continuity. And obviously the Kane and Bale partnership was, was really firing. And I think... Yeah, it's fair to say going into week two, you know, we I don't know about you chaps, but I completely and utterly expected us to be dominant going into going into week two. I felt that we were on for some, you know, really including the North London derby, including the North London derby. And as awesome has said, week two did indeed include the North London derby before that. We played Dinamo Zagreb, which I think we all agreed was the Europa League draw that, you know, was going to keep us honest, but, you know, we'd get through. And then, as you quite rightly said, the North London derby. Yeah, I felt confident day before my birthday. We've got players coming into form. I think there was talk that the manager had managed to get our star blue chip players firing peak form at the right time. There was a, a lot of optimism going around, perhaps naive. I would accept that. And, you know, let's talk about what happened that week. We ended up beating Dino Zagreb 2-0. Some bloke called Harry Kane managed to stick a couple of ways. Had a quiet season, obviously. Then came the game, which, you know, in fairness, we've gone over what happened at the Emirates in detail. I think we all felt it was an, a massive letdown and we lost 2-1, Rabona notwithstanding. So let's look at that week. And it seems you said something awesome. Uh, you made a geographic reference to the month of March, which I think really starts to apply in this week too. I called it a V-shaped valley. Our, our performances over the, the whole month, yeah, started off on an upward trajectory, sharply dropped with that Arsenal loss. In And if you look back at it, it was a pretty tight game, but it, it didn't put us in good mental stead for the, the Zagreb trip, I think. But then we somehow managed to bounce back very quickly. Yeah, but I mean, if you're talking geography, I mean, it was sort of like we got to the top of Half Dome in, in week one and then we stepped off it. Did it feel like that, guys? Or were some of us, I should say, guilty of being a little naive? I think for me, I'd describe it as the most Tottenham month ever in that we had the hope, then we had the despair, then we went somewhere in the middle. We had Lamelli goal the Rabona, followed by his sending off. We had a 2-0 lead, going a comfortable 2-0 lead in the Europa League, lost 3-0. And then, you know, in, in, in between that, a couple of really good performances. So it, I, I agree with Awesome. It is that V-shaped valley, and it's definitely, it's, it's only in keeping with mm. with the with Tottenham Hotspur is that do you think that's a reflection of the season as a whole though really that kind of up and downness the little kind of paradise peaks where we have a good result and then there's just no 
kind of either rhyme or reason or consistency to a lot of it. So, so are you suggesting that maybe the month of March and, and we haven't even got to week three and we're, we're unable to contain ourselves in, in fairness, which is fine. I mean, that's that's how these conversations go. And it's a perfectly natural emotional reaction if you're a, a supporter of this club. Are you saying, Ricky, that you think March is no more or less reflective of our season than our season has been of itself? Yeah, basically. I mean, obviously, the harsh the harsh results of March were worse than like losing to some other teams. The, you know, the daggers to the heart of the Arsenal game and the Europa League loss certainly was something on a different level from a fan's perspective. I just think it keeps you keep ending up with more questions than answers with this team. That's the problem, I think. You know, I'm not sure what we're finding out and what we're kind of and whether that's well, with the manager or with you know. Well, let's just get to week three directly and let's address that return match against Dinamo Zagreb where I think we all felt was going to be a bounce back moment for us or at least a moment where we could steady the tiller a little bit and you know rest some key players and sort of ease through and instead it turned out to be a disaster of epic portions and I think more than anything the question I'd like to ask you all is when you look at the North London derby and this Zagreb game in a greater overview is there any truth to the fact you think that this is a moment where the some of the players have stopped playing for the manager is that possible do you see that in these performances just to go back to the first leg, uh, Davis, Dyer, Sanchez, Sissoko and Delhi all started in that first leg. And we'd all say that was professional performance. And I know we were at home and that kind of thing. There was nothing to get worried about in that game. I don't think Sissoko looked for it. They looked good for the first 10 minutes. That was it, basically. So then when we go to the away leg, I was going to ask everyone whether they think this is relevant. relevant but the whole start in 11 for the uh, second leg were the old school players, all from the Poch era, basically. There was no new guys there at all. It was, um, and I'm not sure, and I know people will pick up on that. I mean, I'm not necessarily agreeing with that, but it's an interesting thing. Basically, our team was Aurier, Dyer, Sanchez, Davis, Wink, Sissoko, Deli, Lamella, Mora and Kane, who are all the older players. And although, I mean, you could counter that by saying that two, the two that you might think that Jose had the hump with, with Ali or Wink, he took them off and brought Ndombele and Lasoso on after 70 minutes. So you'd think... I mean, obviously, they then ended up playing another half hour, including extra time. And we still couldn't get a goal. So I'm not quite sure whether there's any relevance there. Does anyone else think that? Whether it's some of the old mentality that kind of crept in with that game? What might be underestimated is the impact that that Arsenal defeat, and not just the defeat, the actual the standard of the performance. I think it destroyed us mentally. Are we seeing perhaps a slight complacency in the coaching staff? Do we think that maybe the coaching staff almost got seduced by the the beauty and chemistry of, of, of Bale and Kane suddenly clicking and Gareth looking like he was just easing into to first gear again and, and even Delhi really, you know, showing up in those in those late February games and do we think that maybe they switched off and that that permeated through? I think Mourinho was found wanting in that that game against Arteta, if you want to look at it from a coach-free coach perspective, I think he was outcoached. Well, the other thing I noticed about Jose is, especially after the Arsenal game, is we was all very excited about the Bale and his renaissance and that. And it almost seems like that Arsenal game, it's kind of, it got Jose questioning himself and questioning Bale again. In other words, it was because everyone seemed to think Bale wasn't working back and doing that kind of thing. It was almost then reverted back to what we thought before Bale got a run in the team, where Jose just seemed to then have that trust issue. And I don't think it takes much for Jose to reverse back into that position, to be honest. So then our kind of glory of having Bale back teaming up with Kane was kind of blown apart again a bit just going back to the point about the coaching whether they got complacent it's not something I actually thought about but then when I come to think of it 
it does reflect in the performances and it does reflect in terms of the players being, I felt they were very nonchalant in both the Arsenal game in that first half and, and the whole of the Zagreb game and, uh, until the end, until they realised they were in trouble. The nonchalance and almost like, you know, in the Zagreb game, for sure, slight arrogance that we'd, we'd already done it. We'd done enough. And that to me, like these players from what, from experience, some of the older heads as well that were with Pochettino, they're, they're receptive. They're very receptive to the, to the coaching staff. And I felt that, you know, that there's probably a point there, actually. It's an interesting reflection because sometimes we assume that players are downing tools because they don't like the manager, they don't like the coaching staff. And uh, I think it is possible that that maybe wasn't the case when we think about it a little more deeply in this month, you know, that maybe we we did think we turned the corner from, from tea lady to... to to, to first 11 maybe everyone was swept up on that tide of hubris I don't know but I do know as we went into that league game against Aston Villa away the speculation was enormous about so many things surrounding the club you know it was once again Tottenham Hotspur make for tremendous media especially when things aren't going very well and we had had this Jekyll and Hyde months thus far and suddenly we're looking down the barrel of a gun you know top four is a million miles away we've been dumped out of the trophy we were going to win I think we did end up respecting ourselves a little bit with a 2-0 win Jose did some work himself and you know rearranged things a little bit to get a second striker in there to help Harry Kane I think I'd like to when we look back at week three of March maybe ask someone to come in on the importance of Lucas Moura and Davison Sanchez in terms of the spirit and fight they continue to show from that first game against Fulham away right through the Aston Villa game as well, where it felt really like both have never shirked during the month and how important that was to pulling us through what was really a very, very awkward week. I think Lucas has become undroppable. His performances over uh, over the month of March were of really high quality, high energy. He looked like he wanted it in all those games. Even the games we were playing badly, you know, he really on his own was trying his hardest. And I thought for that, considering how, you know, he can be much maligned as well, Lucas, as a player, he proved his worth to us uh, specifically as a, as a squad player, but also in the first 11 now. Sanchez, I think... Again, another much maligned player. You've got, and I always forget he's only, what, 24? But I saw him physically grow in that Villa game. He had a bit of a shaky start, I think, in that game. As as the game progressed and into that second half, he became a dominant centre-back. You know, and normally he, he's, he had that when he has someone more experienced by his side. But for me, that game, he really grew into it. I'm sure he's had performances like that before. I don't remember personally, but, but yeah, I was so impressed with him specifically in that last game. He was joined by Rodon, wasn't he? So maybe that gave him a bit of a bit of a mm. step up. He's like, I'm the senior partner here all of a sudden. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I mean, I think Sanchez has played well, but it's from a low bar, basically. He's been playing, you know, before early in the season. He hasn't been that great. I mean, I'm still not much of a lover of him. I think he's got flaws in his games that are very hard to rectify. He shows strength and he shows William, but he still gets caught out. And I mean, I don't want to criticise him too much because he's stepping up for us at the moment, really. But I still, I know he's 24, <laughs> And, you know, last year you said, I know he's 23. And the year before that, you say, I know he's only 22. <laughs> but but he's just, he's just, I, I don't think he's the answer long term. 
He remains our quickest centre-back, which does give him advantage over the others. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I think we haven't got a good crop really there too much anyway. I mean, I love Toby, but I understand that he's kind of, you know, on his way out and that kind of thing eventually. But You're not convinced still, on Rodon either? Oh, no, no. Rodon I'd love to give a chance to. I can't, you, you can't, call curtains on Rodon yet because he's just not played mm. enough games for us but I think it just depends on where the transfers go in that I mean we might be we might have to keep Sanchez we're just not quite sure are we we don't know what the landscape is in the summer regarding money or manager really so it's quite hard to make predictions on that front but Amora, uh, yeah I mean Mora's been great I mean I can I can say a bad thing about Mora as well if you played in a team that was a very much a system team and had a pattern of play Mora might not actually fit into a team like that as well because he's very much an individual he, he sort of runs all over the place, that kind of thing. And I don't think he would fit. If, like, if you play for Man City or something, he probably might not. I think we like him because he shows he's so willing and he'll do all the yards, he'll do all the attacking, he'll set the tempo and all that kind of thing. That's why we like him at the moment. But maybe if we were a better team, we wouldn't then need him or notice that as much. I think that's a good point, Ricky, because in the team that had Ericsson and uh, on-form Delhi and Kane, you know, the, that uh, team that finished second in the league, Lucas was a, he was a squad player. You know, and it was just a couple of games, and you know that that game in the Champions League has obviously put him into Tottenham folklore. But he was a squad player back then, whereas now we're kind of pining for him when he, when he, when he's in the team to just run at players. Well, absolutely agree. I mean, I'm someone who has been eating a lot of humble pie with Lucas recently because he has been a shining light in what has been a, a pretty dark and, and turbulent period. This month, possibly being the most extreme example of that. So I completely agree. Let's look back at three players whose stock has really plummeted in the month of March. And I'm talking about Doherty, Winks, and our good friend, the legend, Musa Sissoko. I mean, I think all three players, it has to be said during this month, uh, probably had a, you know, severe hits to their efficiency and and their and maybe their futures with, with Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Do we agree? I was interested to see who you were going to come up with them with those three. I was sure that Delhi would be on that list. And Dyer's position in the team is looking further and further away. In terms of those three, I don't think Winks has been given a fair enough go. Yeah, he didn't have a good game in Zagreb, but but no one did. Sissoko has gone off the boil. Like If there was one thing you could rely on with Sissoko is that he comes on with half an hour to go and will just put in a solid six or seven performance, shore things up. He's gone flat, and I don't know whether that's Mourinho-related. As for Doherty, I mean, yeah, the North London derby wasn't a good game for him. We're, we're really struggling at right back. I'd, I'd be playing Tanganga at the moment. Awesome. You just mentioned Dyer. I'd completely forgotten about him. <laughs> That's how much I'd like, you know, just to put, him, put him out of my mind in that, in that first 11. And I agree with you about Winks. I'm not quite sure what he did wrong in March other than he's just not been picked to play. And then when he has played, he's been fairly solid, you know. And um, so I actually feel a bit sorry for him. Same, same with Doherty. Like, I think, you know, he was horribly exposed against Arsenal and not all of his own doing. But um, but again, it was, it was a mix, mixed bag for him in March. And then Sissoko, even the greatest players in the world can have an off month. So I'm not going to hold that against the greatest of all time. Now, I think it's quite clearly filtering through now who's going to be moving on. I think we can all write a list and we'd probably agree on a lot of the names. And there'll be quite a few. As I said before, it just depends how much work you can think you can churn through in one transfer window. I mean, and largely the ones that probably need moving on are the ones that were almost squad players under Poch have now played loads of games for us. And now we, we still just realise maybe they're not good enough. And it's it's harsh on some of them because they've been here a while. But if we think we need to move on onwards and upwards as a team, then maybe Winks, Sissoko 
and probably Dyer. I mean, it's a shame with Dyer because I think this was basically, like I said before, it's last chance saloon for him. In other words, we're going to reinvent you as the centre-back. Let's get you fixed down in a position. And he had all the credentials that I think Mourinho likes, but I think even under Mourinho's watch, it's just just not happened for Dyer really. So he'd be on that list as well. Davis, maybe not. Whether Doherty stays for another year to see if he can turn the corner, I'm not quite sure. It is starting to look like that. Who should be who should be going? Who should be moving on? Yeah. So you're suggesting that these players will be moved on regardless of whose manager come the beginning of the next season? Well, unless the new manager wants to have a look at everyone, like all managers seem to say sometimes, but I just don't think we've got time to go through that, that cycle again. Someone needs to tell the new manager coming in who needs to be going. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but... Let's ask the question about the Zagreb humiliation. You know, when we look back at it in the month of March, what impact does it have on the importance of the League Cup final? And where does it rank, do you think, in terms of our direst performances of recent times. I mean, really, the Zagreb game was a complete shit show in the sense that although Orsic scored a kind of an Inter Milan Bayer-esque hat-trick, you know, and in other words, had a game he's like, all we needed was one goal, one goal, and it, and all his good work would have been undone on that night. We would have still gone through. So I think, and in the two, what's it, 210 plus minutes that we played them, they still weren't a very good team. They didn't really show. That's some really poor players, I thought. And to lose to them with some of the players we've got and some of the players we can even bring on from the bench. As I say, we had game and extra time out there just to score one goal. So that's why I think it's so pitiful, basically. Just to put you on the spot, where does it actually rank in comparison to some of the, you know, the hallmark worst performances that we all talk about in pubs when pubs are open to us? No, I'm talking about like the Notts Counties, the Man Cities in the Cup, those sorts of games. I mean, I think, I mean, the Man City in the Cup when I think that was Orson Dawson's favourite game, wasn't it, Orson? We took loads of friends. I wouldn't say favourite, but yeah, I was there to see that. <laughs> yeah, <mate. laughs> Come and see Tottenham, it's brilliant. No. Oh dear. <laughs> The thing that's worse about this game is you can go to Port Vale or Grimsby away in the Cup and it's a one-off game. But we literally started this game in Zagreb 2-0 up. You know what I mean? We started 2-0 up. So that makes it even worse, I think. It's just... I think nowadays with the lens of social media, I think it feels worse now because back when we we lost that 3-0 lead to Man City against 10 men at home in the FA Cup, it was your worst criticism is probably going to come on a 10.30 match of the day on a Wednesday night and maybe a bad back page in the sun the next day. These days, everything just seems bigger. I still actually look back as that 3-0 lead that we blew at home against Man United with the lads it's Tottenham. I, I think that's, I find that one a hard one to push under the carpet. I think you're right with the social media thing. I had an absolute barrage of memes and videos and stuff sent at me after that Zagreb game, even more so than the NLD by Arsenal fans and other other fans of other clubs. It, I think it was made into a bigger thing than it actually was in in, com- in comparison to those games in the past. I think this season we've always, you know, we've been battling this season, you know, already between positivity and negativity. So for me personally, I don't think it. I, I, in ten years' time, I won't. I don't think I'll look back at this game in any, in you know, in any sense of form in the same way that I look back at some of the other, some of those other sort of losses that the famous losses that we've had. So just to focus on two more players in the month of March who had uh, differing fortunes themselves, and you know, ultimately affected our month significantly. Sonny had the injury in the North London derby and uh, from the point he walked off the pitch, you could argue that we ended up in Awesome's stated valley, going into that valley at hyperspeed. And Delhi started the month, he was flying, 
And then suddenly he he went into the valley himself and doesn't seem to have come out at all. Let's pick that up. Do we think it would have been a different month of March had Sonny stayed fit? And why do we think Delhi has been unable to maintain that bump of form? Was it tied to Gareth Bale so much that he couldn't recover? I think Delhi's head looks like it's gone. I mean, that image of him at half time against was it was it against Villa where he was sat there in his flip flops with socks and goalkeeping gloves. There's no sign that that his head's in the right place at all. As for Son, of course we we are always going to miss him. He's one of our you know he's one of our top three most important players. I'm clinging on to the hope that this international break is going to be long enough for him to come back. But yeah, with Delhi, it, it's very hard to see under this manager him coming back this season, even into any kind of decent form. I think with Son, that I, I'm not sure if he had stayed on the pitch against Arsenal, um, if he hadn't been injured, whether that would have made a difference because we were just so flat as a team, you know, that day. And, you know, Arsenal played well. They did play very well in that first half. And I think they kind of overran us a bit. I don't think he would have got the ball as, as much as he would normally like. I do think we definitely missed him for the Zagreb game. He would have shown that energy that some of our players were showing. And it's just such a shame that it happened when it did, because I felt with Son as well, he really had to adapt his game because Bale and Kane came to the fore with their partnership and they were scoring. And he was, so he kind of took almost a back seat, but not a back seat in terms of how he was playing. He he just adapted his game, you know, and, and he uh, and he was still providing valuable like through balls and and couple of assists to the assists as well, if I remember uh, during the Palace game as well. With Delhi, it's just such a shame. It's such a shame. Like, I don't, I feel like, again, it's it, it's the, the highest peak in the lowest trough, you know. It's, uh, I don't know whether it's the manager. I don't know whether it's him. I don't know whether it's a mixture of the two. But I feel like he either has to outlast Mourinho or he's out. It's one or the other. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, Ram. I think basically with Delhi, it's... If Mourinho's here next year, then Delhi might as well go for his own sake, I think. One, you know, we'd probably get a reasonable fee for him, which will help us. But I think for his own sake, he just needs to split the relationship. Because I do think it is the relationship. I do think... I'm not sure what else it could be, really, otherwise. I know Delhi might have things going on in his own life behind the scenes and that kind of stuff. But he's looked like he's been available and he's been fit and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think he just needs to make that break from us, really. Because also, he can't drag on for too long. It wasn't like he was playing that well. And I'm not saying this was his fault either in the time before Mourinho came, because he was obviously helping us out in alternative positions when he was playing for Poch, when we had injuries in centre midfield and things. But I think he needs to go to a team that really is going to play him in his most prime position, really. And as for Sun, well, I mean, we can cover for Sun. I, mean, I don't think, I mean, if you look at our injury record this year, I think realistically, we're, you'd say we've had a pretty good year for injuries, considering how many games we've had. I mean, lacelso has been out and we've had a few niggles with some other players, but... I think we should be able to cover it. I mean, Mourinho's always said that we've got too big a squad, you know, and I suppose it's down to him to use it or not. And I suppose he's not used it that much. Well, he's rotated in a kind of A and B team kind of way, but I'm not saying that's helped. I think we can cover for Sun. And Vinny's got some games and that kind of thing. So that forces that hand a bit. Then we might end up on a good thing and Vinny can start playing. I mean, my observation with March was when we've really realised once and for all that the Jose Deli working relationship was broken beyond repair. I think they both stepped through February and into March thinking that perhaps it could work and that they could find something to make it work. But somewhere along the line, it's patently obvious that it's not going to happen. And so when I look back at this month, it's the moment where I realised that it's just Delhi is gone. I think the final player to talk about 
by proxy of the fact he came in against Aston Villa and, you know, was not spectacular, but did what he does and worked very hard and still has some culture about his parting and also a little bit of grit. And you know I'm talking about Gio Celso. Do you think that his arrival in that, that last uh, premiership game we played this month is, was significant? I'm happy to have Gio back. He's another grafter. He's a schemer, I think. He looks a bit of a schemer kind of player, but I think he needs to keep working on his fitness because he does, I mean, he's, he's not been back long, so he does fade a little bit in games, but he definitely wants to get the ball carried. He likes to come towards the ball and keep just fetching it off people. And I just, I think to be honest, we're going to obviously end up in an argument with who, you know, who maybe could play the 10 role, whether and Dembele goes back forward and the Celso plays further back or vice versa. I think, to be honest, they'd work better in a different kind of system together where like him, Hoiberg and Dembele just work in some kind of three. But I can't see that happening this year. I really like the Celso. And, I th- you know, again, he's another player that excites me when, when, he's, when he's playing on form. As Ricky said, we just just need to see him consistently, and we just every time he shows a bit of promise, that something happens. You know, he, he gets uh, injured, and and I don't I don't understand like what it is with him, whether it whether he's just injury prone, or you know, do we have another Lamella on our hands, or am I might be an overdramatic? I don't know. As we conclude March, I'm going to do a little bit of a statistical overview. Played six games, we won four, we drew none, we lost two. Let's just cap off this particular portion by getting an overview from you on uh, how you feel as we head into April. I'm feeling a bit uneasy about the direction of where we're going, but that, to be honest, that's nothing new, um, you know, from, from the last few seasons. Uh, I, I am hopeful. We, we've come out of it and we're in, we're in the shout for top four. We're in a cup final. I just feel we're, we're kind of on the precipice of glory and destruction. So, you know, we go one way, and we it's the way where we win a cup and we finish top four or we go the other way, which I think is is a place where we lose our best players. We lose, lose a manager, but we don't know who, who's going to come in that's going to be able to kind of build us back up again. It's, I guess it's part and parcel of being a Spurs fan. Sorry, Ram, I'm, I'm going to throw in a stat here that uh, you were not privy to. We're ending the month three points from fourth. We were six behind at the end of February and January. So in some perverse statistical way, it suggests progress. Yeah, just to point out there, um, Steph, that we were six behind, but we had played a game less than West Ham. So we had a game in hand when we're three points behind Chelsea, but played the same games. The other thing that's to note there is that fourth place team has now become Chelsea and not West Ham. And we have to take that into consideration because Chelsea obviously look a bit more formidable than West Ham. So if we, you know, if you want to chase one of them, it would be West Ham you'd want to chase. So that's a slight downside to that. But I'll take your point. You know, we've got the point in the bags and we're only three behind. So um, I think Harry Kane's mentioned that this week, I think, or today or yesterday or something. No, I mean, let me be blunt. It's not my point. It's just I'm reading some statistics. I mean, I have my own personal views on what those statistics really mean, but I just think it's intriguing when you look at it written down as I just am. April is going to be the month that decides our season, obviously. Now, in four short weeks, we'll either have a trophy and we can tell people to shut up about that for a few years. How important is the Carabao Cup final? I'm going to give it its proper title for probably the first time ever on this pod. Seriously, how important is this trophy in relation to our season, how it could look at the end of it? Does it only mean something if we also get into the top four? You know, you qualify for... I'm honestly not sure I'd ever heard of this tournament until I, I, th- I think Milo brought it up to me recently. The Europa Conference League. Good Lord, that sounds like the Johnson 
trophy paint, what you may call it, uh, of Europe. I mean, so, yeah. you know, as is the way with me in these questions, I'm throwing several in at once. So someone pick up a strand and go with it. I'm going to say something that I never thought I would say, because I've always been in the camp of a cup is more important than anything. But Jose's broken me, or perhaps Spurs have broken me, I don't know. I think for me, the League Cup would be the wrapping on the present if we finish, if top four was the present. So for me, we've got to finish top four. I'll obviously enjoy winning the League Cup if that were to happen, but I just don't have the same romance for it that I would having us in the Champions League next season. Well, the big question for you then, Ram, is if the League Cup, if we only won the League Cup, and that also meant that Jose stayed for next year, are you giving up on the oh, League Cup? You're <laughs> killing me, Ricky. You're killing me. <laughs> Oh, hell. It is at this yeah. point that Ricky has actually also managed to kill my spirit a little bit with a, with a, with actually what has to be said is a fine question. Yeah. Mm. Do you know my answer? Do I, well, you know them. Do I have to say it on air? Do I have to be committed to it? No, you don't and want thus- the trophy. You don't want the trophy if it means Mourinho staying, which I think is what a lot of people share that view. But it would be nice to have the trophy just to really mm. silence the, the the crap that comes around that from the trolls. I think I would love the trophy if, as Ram said, it comes with top four. You know, I really would celebrate it as an achievement. But if that is the achievement we're going to be left with and the only European football we have next year is the Europa Conference League. Honestly, like live on midday you on can... QVC. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Honestly, <laughs> absolutely. Honestly, if that is the case... You can do one. Uh, I've got a question for you all. How would you feel about the League Cup if this was the same season and Pochettino was managing us? I feel exactly the same. We we need to be in the Champions League. Uh, I really would, especially with the remit of actually, you know, moving forward. To me, if we finish this season only winning the League Cup, it has to be seen in reflection of our history and on reflection with our history. And that means it puts him on par with Man of the Raincoat and One Day Ramos. And frankly, for a man of his credentials, I would ex- I was expecting a lot more from... The- and all- I, would, I would be expecting a lot more than that from Jose Mourinho. And also, even if we win it, it doesn't reflect on the rest of the season being successful or anything. It's like a one-off game against City. It's a bit of a shame we're playing City because, let's face it, it's not a coin flip of a game against City, is it? I mean, we're probably 70-30% you know, underdogs in that game. Well, I'm hoping, but this will never happen. I think Awesome said this on one of the other pods. It'd be great if we could get Europe and there'd still be a possibility that we've got a new manager next year. I mean, I think if we've got Champions League and we changed our manager. I think out of the four options, I mean, if the if the bookies were pricing that up, that'd be the outsider of the four. But I still don't think it's an impossible. We could still get rid of him. If Levy doesn't feel it, as in, I still think he's willing to pay the price to get rid of him. I don't think we should worry about Levy paying the price. I think he would if he thought it was for the great of good. If Nagelsmann, let's say, lined up, I mean, it would need someone to be lined up, obviously, then I think he would go for it. Anyone else think that? He's shown no problem with getting rid of any other manager, so I don't think he's suddenly going to start mm. now. I think where Levy has proven he will be, you know, we've joked about, because of the documentary, we've joked about how far up Jose's ass <laughs> Levy's meant to be. But I think ultimately he, the, the type of businessman he is, the type of man he is, he and the, the way he conducts a business like this, he wouldn't have any qualms with getting rid of Jose if he really felt it wasn't the right fit. I think I've just, I go, I, put myself into sort of doomsday mode when, with things like this. I'm, I'm either half, 50% half full, 50% glass half empty, which makes no sense at all. But that's what's going on in my head at the moment. I think, what do I think, actually? I'm thinking lots of things right now, but I better form a coherent thought to bring us to a conclusion on this. I think we've covered most of the aspects we wanted to. However, 
Save the best till last here. We did have a little chat about this before we started. And I think it's fair to tell the listeners that, you know, we we decided to put this whole section together on the fly. And it is Jose Mourinho's month of March media performance. Because let's face it, the man has absolutely escalated his presence in the media to another dimension, I think it's fair to say, with some fairly, uh, oh, is interesting the right word? comments and posts and so on and yeah. social media i i think the one that we're we're all hinging on is the Morinista stuff that he came out with just a couple of days ago and just so as we can get some context for that let me read through it again and i quote this is jose speaking honestly i get my strength from myself but mainly from the people that i love and the people who i know they love me even if many of them, I don't know them. I haven't met them. I used to call them Muranistas because in Portugal, we use Easter in the end of the name of the club that we love to express the support. For example, if you are from Porto, you are a Portista. If you are from Benfica, you say Benficista. If you are from Mourinho, you say Muranista. I have so many Muranistas around the world that I play for them. Now, that's the bit of the quote that I'm reading. There was also this whole bit earlier where he basically, as I took it, suggested that he wouldn't talk in football with people who aren't like in the game or as you know accomplished as he is in the game is basically a waste of his time. That's how I took the first part of that particular interview. And I would encourage anyone to look it up. It's all over the internet. It's not going to be that hard. Just look up Moranistas. Here's the key question. First of all, to kick us off, are you a Moranista? Uh, starting with you, Awesome. No. And he's starting to remind me of a certain man who just lost a big election. Is he trying to make Tottenham great again? No, I'm not a Moranista. It's weird. I don't like it. I didn't even know what it was until Milo posted it in our group chat and he posted the link to that interview. You went you reading that out again and actually I've got it, you know, in front of me just just in text and I'm just thinking, what the hell are you on about? Like, you know, he just, it, it's just, it's irrelevant. This is irrelevant to, you know, to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. It's irrelevant to your job. It's irrelevant to how we're performing on the pitch. He's just basically put a rally cry, a rally cry for a pylon for his fans, his personal fans to support him. Fair play. He's being, he's being cute. He's being clever. You know, I mean, even if you, if you are from Mourinho, you say Morinista. That doesn't even make sense. Ricky? Mm. Oh, more in Easter's now. I mean, they're just manager fanboys, which are just like, it's a really weird concept. Because if I think it's similar, but not as bad as being a manager fanboy. But when I used to play football and that, I used to think it was quite weird. Or I used to look kind of suspiciously at teammates who didn't actually support a team. And, you know, well, not suspicious, but I was look at them quizzically because I'd think you played football since you're a kid. You love football and that kind of thing. How come you don't support the team? Do you just like football? And I used to think that was weird. But the whole kind of manager fanboy thing is on an even higher, weirder level than that. And I can't see how people invest that kind of time following a single manager or just moving on to each team that he moves on to. But as regards to the way he said it, I think it's basically um, he knows, you know, recently he's, he's, he's been due and has been getting plenty of income in regarding the results and the performances. Basically saying, fuck you to us lot. In other words, you know, who are you? <laughs> and 
Well, basically, I'm a, you know, I'm a diehard fan of Tottenham Hotspur. That's why I care. And that's why I bloody question it. That kind of thing. Don't think that you can just surround yourself with your kind of gimp mask fanboys and think that, well, I've got, well, I've got these people that love me. So I don't need you. I don't care about you because I'm always going to have these people that are going to lap me up, basically. You know, I don't like it. And it's a bit weird that he goes on about it. I'm sure when he's retired, he'll have his little hotel conventions with all these Easters that come, you know, and it'll just <laughs> and that kind of thing. So they can all just love, have a big old love in with Mourinho. It's horrible stuff, really. And a bit, and I just say, a bit weird on all levels from his side and from his fanboy side. Summed up my position perfectly as well with that. I've nothing to add to that. But I, I and I agree with you all 100%. One final question about this quote, which uh, I have to throw out there. Let's look at this bit of the quote again. If you are from Mourinho, you say Muranista. He did say if you're from Benfica, you're a Benfica. So my, my question to that is, and let's have a little bit of fun with this. Let's assume that Mourinho is a nation and let's talk about it as a nation. What climate would it have? What architecture? Let's, like, you know, let's have a little fun here. I'll kick it off by saying that I think that nobody would want a vacation here because you can never guarantee what the weather is going to be like other than this uncomfortable humidity hanging around all the time. But there would be occasional blasts of like, you know, horrific icy rain and then basking warm sunshine, right? I mean, it would be an uninhabitable nation, I think, would it? I mean, I don't know. Help me out here. Volcanic. (laughs) I think as a nation, it would have a really bombastic, you know, really prideful national anthem. They sing out and try and intimidate all all the other nations. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, they're just a bunch of cowards. You've got it. Sorry, I have to cut you off, Ricky, because I got it. You've, you've helped me nail what nation it is. It will be the nation that is in Woody Allen's bananas. And, and it will be run by a dictator like that who says that you have to wear your underwear outside your trousers every 30 minutes and <laughs> things like that. It will be that would be the nation. You're absolutely right. You, thank you. You've helped me help me realize that my, my thought process there. Ricky. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's the obvious thing is he'd be, you know, he'd have his castle or his citadel and all the kind of like <laughs> Marinistas would all surround in the lower kind of white stucco, whitewashed buildings. On the walls, he'd have his big like kind of new white hot lane type video screens. And each night he would put some stuff up there, you know, and he'd, <laughs> he would dress his nation and that kind of thing. And then occasionally they'll be led into the kind of central courtyards where there'd be a big kind of, you know, Mourinho loving every once a month, probably last Sunday every month or something. <laughs> just going to say, it's the type of place you'd love to visit just to see what it's about, but you would never, ever want to live there. I'd imagine it would be horrifically expensive. Once again, there is nowhere else to go with that. I mean, because that you've said it all, that would be the dream scenario. It would be fantastic. So before we leave the performance of Mourinho in the media march, we're not going to cut him any slack for this. Is there any slack to be cut at all? Is he entitled to a bit of self-protection? Does he see the end is coming and he's already putting some fences out there? Uh, is he trying to deflect attention from the team and take it all on himself in some sort of march martyr move? Just the Mourinho press press conference this week or after match interviews. Um, basically, there was two things I picked out. One was press conference after Villa. And of course, what you've got to remember is this is three days after the Subgreb game. I also, it's always worth listening and actually watching these interviews. You know exactly what's been said from the horse's mouth, word for word. It's not been kind of twisted or edited or anything like that. But the question was, it was a, he was asked about the Loris interview and he said, I didn't watch it. I didn't listen to it. I closed myself in my shell. I didn't need to read, listen or watch. I'm a mature guy. I have the emotional stability. I don't need to read or listen. I'm not interested. Quite easily say that what Loris said was aligned quite a lot with what 
Mourinho said. So in other words, it's quite an easy question to him. So you'd think he'd go along with it and say, yeah, you know, that's my captain. We have similar thoughts on this and all those kind of things. I just thought it very much kind of maybe some of what Loris says isn't completely aligned with what Mourinho thinks. And maybe some of the stuff Loris said was a bit more from a player's point of view and that kind of thing. Because it was just a weird response. I thought it was a lie to start with because it was three days after the Zagreb game. So to say he hadn't read it or listened to it would have just been nonsense, basically. He's obviously seen what his captain said. But I just found that kind of interesting. That was one thing I found interesting. Anyone else think anything about that? Yeah, you've just meant, we just mentioned Trump. That could have come completely out of the Trump playbook there. You know, I don't need to listen to it or watch it. You know, I, I have my own thoughts and things like that. It's three days after the Zagreb game. Like, of course, he's going to have seen it. Of course, he's going to have heard it. And I think there's something in there. I think maybe Larice saying that, you know, there's a, I can't remember the exact word, but something about the decaying in the club or, or whatever, you know, there's there's something not right within the club. And yeah, that could be talking about the coaching and stuff rather than... Well, but also the way he answered the question would then make me think what Larice thought of how the way he answered that question. Because it's almost kind of like he was, you know, I'm not interested in listening to my captain, that kind of mm. thing. I think what's fascinating about looking back at just these couple of quotes that we've been discussing is that we're looking at March again, and it's Mourinho who is prominent, despite the fact we've had two awful results in the middle of this month, uh, body blows to the club, specifically the second leg against Zagreb. You know, again, our listeners should know we, we aim to be as fair as possible when it comes to Jose Mourinho, because he is such a divisive, electric person and personality. You know, we didn't come into this pod with the objective to talk about him that much. But once again, he has managed to make the month predominantly about him over the trajectory of the team and its results, which I find fascinating. You know, however hard you try and script it, he makes it about him. That's, I mean, when I look back at this month, that's what I'm left with. It's overwhelmingly about him always. Uh, it's probably this month more than any magnifies that for me. Shall I do the other quote after that? It was a Sky interview after the Villa game. Football nowadays is not easy. Selfishness is around. The individual interests are around. The agents are around. The connection between the agent and the press are around. What I don't understand about that is he saying, if they weren't around, my life would be easier. But the other thing I can't get with it is... Has he like been living in a parallel universe? And I mean, he's managed in much bigger media and dressing room shitstorms like Real Madrid and Man United. None of this thing is new to him, surely. He's like the special one that's had 20 years. And we're like little old Tottenham Hotspur. So I can't see how any of this agents being around or selfishness, he's dealt with this stuff time and time again, surely. You can't be mm. fessing up to this now with the amount of experience he's had and think, oh, it's new to me. I'm not quite sure what to do about it or handle it. That part surprised me. And I'll just read the final bit. And after that, he said, and instead of developing the feeling of team with empathy, I do for you, you do for me. I win if I play 90 minutes. I also win if I'm in the stands. This is something you need time to develop in a group. Nowadays, you need time because society and the psychological profile of younger people is not an easy one. And I think that almost reads as a confession. I don't know what to do about this. I can't handle these kind of player. I can't handle the youth. I mean, I can't see how, you know, it's almost like a realisation and it just sounds like he's out of touch, basically. The thing I hate about that is it's almost like he's confessing he's out of touch from a kind of psychological and a building a culture point of view. But I've already think he's out of touch when it comes to tactics and things. So I think on both sides of those coins now, I just I now think 
he just doesn't feel like he's got much going in his favour from my point of view. I think basically what I'm saying is he's, he's, he's past his time. And I think that's remarkable from someone who is the most decorated coach around. And also it's looking like that some of those things that he's complaining about with us look like he had problems with that at Chelsea. It looks like he had problems with that at Man United. I think he could be struggling from that point of view, basically. I mean, the other thing that is quite commonly said now as well with him is he's used confrontational management skills before to deal with, you know, to build up the kind of rapport in the squad and get people. That's another past tactic, basically, in that kind of field of work. I just don't think that works. I don't think Klopp does any of that. I don't think Rogers does any of that. And that's what he's saying there. It takes time to build something. But I think you're going about it the wrong way, Josie. I think these other people, they do that more kind of collective family feel. And that seems to get more result. We've had a very good holistic wrap up of the month of March. We've looked at all sorts of things on and off the pitch. We've even taken a stab at Jose Mourinho's uh, March media performance. The final thing left for us to do now is to give our player of the month. Ricky, I'm going to start with you. Mora. Ram. Kane. Awesome. Mora. I'm going to go against the grain here and say Sanchez, just because I think he's been really brave and played through a lot of hard stuff. We're going to look at the month of April. I want to start by giving you a quote that Harry Kane gave at the end of the Aston Villa game, where he said, we bounced back with a win. And when you look at the bigger picture, we're a couple of points off top four and have a cup final. If we finished in the top four and won the Carabao Cup, everyone will say it's been a good season. And I want you to think about this in relation to the predictions I'm going to ask you for, because we have the following games coming up. Newcastle away, Manchester United at home, Everton away, the already discussed Carabao Cup final against Man City and a possible fixture with Southampton at home. Seven wins and one draw from the last nine games would give us 70 points and we'll be at least knocking on the door of top four. So looking at that, what are your predictions for the month of April? Awesome. I predict that we'll get 10 points from these April fixtures. Ricky? I think five points, two against Man U Everton and a win against Newcastle. One thing we'll say though is I'll just be nice to see how we go when we've got maybe a whole week to prepare. That's a long time since we've had that and maybe Jose can actually do something with that. Uh, Colin Cup, well, no, we'll lose that. Ram? I think we're going to get four points in April. Uh, if we play Southampton, then we'll get seven. And for the Carabao Cup final, I think we're going to lose to City 3-1. Yeah, I say Carlin Cup, Carabao Cup, whatever cup, we'll lose it. Yeah, sorry about yeah that. I certainly wasn't going to pick you up on the name of that cup. I, honestly, <laughs> I'm sure the only people who are concerned are Carabao, whatever. Was well, it Carabao's an energy drink, isn't it? I think so, yeah. 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 Drink a few bottles I... of that before the City game, we should be all right. <laughs> that message has been brought to you by our sponsor, Carabao Energy Drink. The energy drink you drink if you want to beat Manchester City in the Carabao Cup final (laughs) unless Manchester City have a lasagna gate I can't see us winning that game and I'm going to say seven points in April you know let's just wrap this up by saying if there's one single improvement you would like to see in what would it be I would say attitude from Jose and the players just improve the attitude because we can still very much salvage this season I think I already said mine. I'm just hoping that the um, extra space between games, we can see an improvement from that. I'd like to just see a return to form of our attacking fullbacks. I just hope, I think, I mean, I agree with all of those. I just hope that we can focus and show proper focus in every game and that, you know, the players don't leave anything behind when they go onto the pitch for every match. Uh, I'd be satisfied with that. It would show us that there's been some, some progress. It would show me that the players care about the club and it would hopefully see the club maybe achieve something that we don't think they're going to, which is maybe, you know, get into that top four. 
who knows let's be optimistic let's end on an optimistic point thank you very much guys much appreciated cheers Steph. thanks Steph. cheers Steph. Cheers, guys. see you later we'll be back in the premiership groove next week with a regular pod when we discuss a newcastle game and whatever else happened at our club and on international duty in the meantime if you're jonesing for some the game is about glory be sure to visit our archives and don't forget we rely on word of mouth to pick up new listeners for this podcast so get your mouth motor running let people know about us however you do that is is great just talk to them I don't know, get on your social media, blast them, tweet them, you know, tweet them, twip them. I don't know. Whatever you need to do, just let people know about the game is about glory. As always, thanks for joining us and see you next week.